once again to the Conversations That Matter podcast. I'm your host, John Harris. Glad to be back in the chair today, not on the road, uh, looking at a fall day, an overcast fall day outside, as I think we're still actually getting the system from the hurricane that hit Florida. It's traveled on up the coast, and I, I think that's what's causing what I'm seeing right now. Uh, but we we definitely need the rain, so I'm thankful for it. But man, it's been in my life personally very busy the last few weeks, and I was able to celebrate most recently over the weekend uh, with family my grandfather's 100th birthday, which is incredible. I can't believe that he's still able to walk, and uh, he has his mind, he has his wits about him, he can still make jokes, and so that was a big deal. We had actually like three different kind of celebrations during the course of the week, uh, and. Um, it's just, uh, it's wonderful to be with family. So I was in California for the last week and, uh, we flew back very late getting in on Sunday night. And, uh, we, uh, of course are on California time. So, and, (laughs) and it always happens this way, doesn't it? We, we get in and I'm waiting there for our, we had parked our car to garage and I'm waiting there for like, I don't know, 45 minutes. And finally I said, you know, I don't know if the shuttle's coming. So I called the company and they said, well, we're waiting for the police to show up because there's been an accident with the the shuttle. So I, I thought, okay, I got to take a taxi. So I took a taxi and we, we got to have that experience, taxi riding in uh, New Jersey and then get into our car and we, we drove whatever it is, the two hours almost it is to get uh, to our house. And, uh, and so we get to bed late and I'm laying there exhausted from the day and I can't sleep because I'm on California time. So I was probably up to like three in the morning, Eastern time, but Western time, that's only midnight, only midnight. I know some of you, you go to bed at like 7, 8 p.m., but uh, in the course of, it's funny to me, in the course of only a week, actually a week and a half, I acclimated to staying up to like 11.30 midnight, and uh, I'm still trying to get out of it. <laughs> I'm, I'm still, my days are lopsided, so... Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I need to do something exerting, something that makes me really tired, I guess, so I'll go to bed earlier. Uh, Anyway, that's that's what I'm going through. (laughs) Oh, the woes of first world problems, right? Um, And then I get back, and uh, my propane uh, tank is uh, the company that I use for fuel. uh, They haven't delivered the propane tank, and it's been like three weeks. I've said, I need a propane tank uh, for uh, the upstairs apartment that we've been renovating. We're almost done with that. And it's still not there. So I've been on the phone yesterday and today, and I'm probably going to have to switch companies. So that's when, when you have uh, what I have, like four subs, uh, it's five, I think, actually five subs. That is also an ordeal. So I'm dealing with that. And then we had a, another birthday, family birthday party last night, which was great. But I just feel like I'm like driving here and there. And uh, and, and I sat down at this this chair right here that I'm sitting in right now. And I thought, ah, deep breath, I'm home. And, and we're going to get into some, some, uh, now some social justice stuff, but there, there seriously though, there's been, um, a lot on my uh, agenda as far as things to talk about. People have been asking me a lot of questions and I realize, um, I said all that I just said to give you this information, I am getting to it. It's just been one thing after another. So yes, the questions about the retreat, I am going to be answering those within like the next two days. Um, the uh, questions about speaking or just uh, other things. I, I know a lot of people have sent me, John, have you seen this? Have you seen that? Uh, I am keeping an eye on things as much as I can, but there's going to be just a lot of me digesting information over the next two days. And so um, I wanted to give you some things that have been 
a little bit on the back burner since I've been traveling that um, there it, it's old news, but it's not. It's old news in the sense that some of the things that I want to talk about have people have other people have been talking about, but I don't think they brought up some of the things that I'm going to bring up uh, about those situations. So we're going to do some SBC stuff, I think, today and tomorrow. And then after that, um, we'll get to some other things. We'll, we'll step outside SBC stuff and we'll talk about more uh, national things. And uh, that's the plan, at least. We'll see how that goes. Uh, for those who have asked uh, about the book club uh, that we're going to do, yes, we're going to do that still. And, and the book is, the first book we're going to go over is Ideas Have Consequences. And I, I explained, I think it's important to have really good books, really good information that helps us understand the context in which we're living. We, we also need really good biblical analysis, exegetical preaching, understanding of the text. We need that. And I think a lot of you who listen, I'm not saying all of you, but a lot of you, I think, have that. You, you have resources to go to, whether it's, um, this is, you know, I was about to say desiring God, and then I caught myself. <laughs> I meant uh, renewing your mind. Uh, is it renewing your mind? R.C. Sproul. What's R.C. Sproul's? Um, I'm forgetting the name of his, well, R.C. Sproul. You're, you're listening to R.C. Sproul or Grace to You, John MacArthur, uh, or you know, you have a pastor, hopefully a good local pastor that you're um, gleaning from and you're in the word yourself. That's the most important thing. But I think often what, I think in terms of supplements, what needs to be supplemented oftentimes is an understanding of the world we live in. You can't apply the scripture you're learning at least as well when you don't understand and you don't have to be an expert like philosopher or something, but at least you need to know a little bit about what's going on. And I think there's so much deception out there, especially in the Christian world, so much just incomplete or flat out wrong analysis of what we're living in and what the working issues are that I think it neutralizes Christians. Even Christians who understand the Bible very well, they don't know how to exactly apply all the principles that they have in their mind because they're misreading what is right in front of them. And so my purpose with the book club, at least initially, is to give you some really good books that I think help you understand the context in which we're living. And the first one is going to be Ideas Have Consequences by Richard Weaver. And this isn't like a Christian book uh, in, in the sense that we often think of a Christian genre of books. This is this is really just a, a book, uh, kind of pop philosophy, but it's it's analyzing um, the world that we live in. Even though it was written in 1947, it's a critique of modernity. And I think it would help a lot of us. I know it helped me uh, tremendously in understanding how to navigate issues. So um, that's going to be coming probably closer to the holidays. And I think it's important we do this also just to have a positive, uh, something positive that we're about something. So so it's not just... Uh, Look at what these evangelical leaders are doing. Look, look how they're um, deviating from biblical orthodoxy. But we're also rebuilding. Also, we're 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 ha we have something positive that we want to um, advocate. And so, um, starting out with some books uh, that I can recommend to you, not just books that we're going through for the purpose of uh, showing you the error, but books that actually have something positive. I think that's important. We need that. So that's coming probably closer to the holidays. I'll let you know. If you're a patron, I'm figuring out ways to uh, include you in a more intimate fashion. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how that's all going to work yet, but there will be probably a live stream link that you'll have, and it, the recording will be 
that particular link and then you'll be able to participate in a in a chat box or questions or something like that something of that nature and then I'll broadcast it to everyone on the podcast but uh, they won't the, the the normal listener won't have the opportunity to interact uh, like the patrons will so that's what I'm thinking so anyway that's coming. Uh, there are treats coming up. You can, by the way, still sign up. We are past the deadline, but uh, still have not filled up. There's still some spots left, so um, you want to get on it quick, but uh, you can still sign up for the retreat. Uh, I'll put the link in the info section for that October 28th through 30th with Dr. Russell Fuller. It's going to be a great time, and I know some of you have been maybes, and I would encourage you get off the fence <laughs> and, and commit if you're going to come. Uh, so uh, more information for those who have committed to coming later in the week. Right now, though, before we get started with today's topic, in which we'll start examining uh, the ERLC a little bit and just some changes there, and we'll see how far it takes us into the Southern Baptist world, I want to let you know about a great company if you're looking for tea. It is tea season. Where I am, it is tea season now. Uh, and to get the best tea, you're going to want to go to Gold River Trading Company. That's goldriverco.com, goldriverco.com. And uh, they have their pumpkin spice tea. That's new, and it's good. It's warm and savory. It is uh, exceeded my expectations when I tried it. And if you put in the promo code CONVERSATIONS, you'll get uh, 15% off your order. So you're going to want to do that. Go to goldriverco.com. Get yourself some pumpkin spice tea. Put in the promo code CONVERSATIONS. And while you're there, check out some of their other teas because they don't just have pumpkin spice. They have... Uh, black tea and green tea and I mean they have their freedom uh, bundle if you're a uh, patriotic type which I'm sure many of you who listen to this podcast probably are you can get their 1776 American breakfast black tea blend their gunpowder green tea uh, by the way their gunpowder green tea is really good and so is their peppermint uh, green tea I'm not sure which one I like better probably the peppermint a little bit that might be my favorite their peppermint green tea but they're coming out with new flavors and I'm just uh, glad for their success because this is a company that shares your values, pro-America, pro-Western civilization, and most importantly, pro-Christianity. You're not paying for tea from a company that hates you, which, let's face it, we do that a lot, don't we? We go and we shop at places. Sometimes we don't have a choice, and we pay for things that we just wish we didn't have to go there to pay for it. Well, on Gold River, at Gold River Trading Company, you don't have to worry about that. So get yourself some tea for the season. Now, let's get into what I wanted to talk about today, and this is now going back at least a few weeks ago, but um, I'm on the website for the ERLC. This is the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission for the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, here's my prediction for the ERLC. They have a new president, Brent Leatherwood, and my prediction is more of the same. You're not going to get a someone that comes into the ERLC that's going to change the direction of the ERLC. Russell Moore obviously was the previous uh, head of the ERLC before he went to Christianity Today, and he's now the editor-in-chief there. He obviously led the Southern Baptist Convention in a very left-leaning direction. If you doubt me, go look up all the videos and podcasts I've done on Russell Moore. We've talked about it. Off the top of my head, I could probably rattle off a number of things that Russell Moore did while he was in that position to compromise Southern Baptists. He was the one that said he wouldn't attend a homosexual wedding, but he would go to the reception for a homosexual wedding. Well, what is it? What, what does that mean? Uh, he he was the he played this kind of this. I'm conservative, but I'm also kind of liberal. I'm on the fence so often. And what it ended up doing in a conservative denomination like the Southern Baptist is it pushed the needle left. At least he helped a lot with pushing the needle left. 
And I also know that from being a seminary student at Southeastern. I know how uh, many of the young seminarians kind of look to Dr. Russell Moore as this just wise sage, this person who was able to, in a very nuanced way, navigate cultural landmines that are normally problems for Christians, but he could do it in a winsome way in which, let's just say the world, the forces against Christianity weren't offended and they respected Dr. Russell Moore. I mean, he got to write for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and he was prophetic and his prophetic Ness was him calling out the church, conservative Christians, for hypocrisy in certain ways. He put a lot more energy towards calling out the church, quote-unquote, than he did calling out the world and the sins that are popular that the church is tempted by. And it's sad to me. So uh, we did a lot of material over the last few years on Dr. Russell Moore, his immigration policies, his uh, partnership with the Evangelical Immigration Table, his... um, sexuality and his just halfway measures on um, sexual sexual issues, homosexuality in particular, on his um, disdain for evangelicals who supported President Trump. I don't really know what else to call it. it. It really was. And so with Russell Moore, you had the ERLC going in this this terrible direction. And the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, hasn't really changed. Some conservatives want to abolish it. Some just thought, well, if we get the right people in there, then we could have a better Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. The Southern Baptist Convention can really do a lot better. It can uh, get involved with in politics in better ways. And so the moment came very recently when the new head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission was named, and that's Brent Leatherwood. Now, Brent Leatherwood has been with the Ethics and Religious Liberty uh, Commission for some time. He was serving as the acting president since September 2021. And um, he has had been previously involved uh, as the executive director of the Tennessee Republican Party, the director of communications and policy strategy in the Tennessee General Assembly. And he worked for several years on Capitol Hill. And so he is someone, you know, Russell Moore came from Democrat politics. Well, Brent Leatherwood came from Republican politics, right? Isn't that good? And I I thought at the time, this is someone from within the ERLC. This is someone who's who's been there. This isn't going to be someone who's going to come in and change the direction and break everything up. They're just not going to let that happen. So I was not surprised to find out that Brent Leatherwood was very much in the same uh, vein as Russell Moore. And so uh, how do you know that, John? Well, let me play for you this clip first, and you tell me what you think. Does this sound... Like he's going to change the direction from where Russell Moore took it? Or does this sound like he's going to keep the direction going the same way it has been for a while? What are some very tangible things that Christians can do uh, to engage the culture in the midst of a global pandemic and in the midst of such a volatile uh, political season? Yeah. You know, my boss, uh, Russell Moore, uh, one of the things that really attracted me to, to come in and serve here at the ERLC is uh, he, he's got this phrase, we need to engage the culture without losing the gospel. Mm. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, what we try and uh, counsel Christians to do is get out there and engage people uh, on the issues that matter, the, on the issues that Christians really care about. But do so in a way that is a, uh, a builds a constructive bridge so that the gospel 
uh, can actually be shared with people who uh, might be unbelieving, uh, might be skeptical, uh, just overall a watching world, because we are, you know, we are, uh, we're ambassadors for Christ. Uh, and, and particularly in this culture uh, that, that is, is fallen, um, and, you know, a lot of people would say is, uh, is, is uh, very adversarial towards Christianity, which, I mean, newsflash, since Genesis 3, uh, yeah. culture has, has been adversarial towards us. Um, but uh, what I would say is just make sure that you are comporting yourself, you are conducting yourself in a way that honors Christ. And, um, I, you know, that is a way that I, I tried to govern myself in my previous roles. Uh, I, I ran the, the Tennessee Republican Party for four years uh, before coming to this role. And uh, I ran a number of campaigns prior to that. And I always tried to uh, govern myself with, with this principle in mind. Uh, is it, do folks find you agreeable to disagree with? Uh, are you a joy to disagree with? In other words, uh, you can have very deep disagreements, but are, are folks, uh, do, do they see charity uh, emanating from you? Uh, do they see that you are actually trying to uh, help them along? And I think if, if we all did that as Christians, particularly in this chaotic, uh, very polarized uh, moment that we're living in, man, that would go a whole, that'd go a long way. Well, there you have it. Brent Leatherwood wanting to follow the pattern of Russell Moore in engaging culture. Engaging culture without losing the gospel, he says. Now, this particular interview dropped on YouTube November 2nd, 2020, and Russell Moore was still at the ERLC at that point. And so Brent Leatherwood is basically saying, this is the pattern. This is who I admire. This We're going to do it this way, except for the fact that if you think about it, and if you've listened to this program for any amount of time, Dr. Russell Moore did compromise the gospel. I give an example in Christianity and Social Justice Religions in Conflict, where Dr. Russell Moore says at the MLK 50 event that Christians who don't care enough about sanitation workers and other social justice issues, they need the gospel preached to them again because they don't really have it. But you know who had it was Martin Luther King Jr. And of course, Martin Luther King Jr. was a false teacher. He didn't have the gospel. He didn't have he wasn't orthodox in his understanding of the gospel. And yet here you have Dr. Russell Moore. In, in that particular uh, speech, uh, saying, follow the pattern of MLK. He had he knew how to uh, really preach the gospel. And Christians today, evangelicals today, they don't have it because they just don't care enough about justice issues. So who's, what's the basis for the, uh, for receiving, understanding, um, apprehending the gospel? What's the basis for the finished work of Christ being applied to our accounts. Is it our works? Is it the amount, the, the level to which we care about social justice? Or is it Jesus Christ's work and his work alone? That's the question. And that's always been the question, the soteriological question with social justice. And Russell Moore, uh, at best money's the water. Um, I would say he preaches a false gospel at times. And this is the person that Brent Leatherwood thinks really does a good job because, you know, he builds this constructive bridge to the watching world. And how does he do that? Well, it's a joy to disagree with. <laughs> if it's a joy to disagree with you and from the world standpoint, from people who disagree with Christianity, then you must be doing it right. And the question I have is from whose perspective is it? Does the watching world that hates Christianity when they disagree with Christians, are, are they thinking such a joy to disagree with this person? 
Uh, and because they say that you're then vindicated or is it, I mean, could you wind up with a scenario where you've done everything you possibly can? You've spoken in a very nice tone, but they're still offended because you've spoken the truth. You've said that marriage is between a man and a woman, and they just can't take that, even though you say it very gently. Uh, there's some Bible verses, I think, that apply to this. There's many, actually. Matthew 10, 22. You will be hated by all because of my name, and uh, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And we could go on and on. There's so many verses. And in the Old Testament as well, there's verses along these lines. So uh, if you look at the Old Testament example of what being prophetic is, there's a lot of hatred, especially toward, towards the people that are being confronted for their sin, which are people that are disobeying the law of God uh, and in blatant ways, idolatry, uh, sexual immorality, and they don't want to be corrected. And Russell Moore saves his powder, he keeps it dry until there's an evangelical to blast for some kind of hypocrisy or something he can come up with. That's the way that Russell Moore has practiced being quote-unquote prophetic. It's not the pattern you have from the Old Testament. It's not the pattern you see in Jesus or the disciples. In fact, if the world loves you, that's a bad sign. Now, you do have verses like in 1 Timothy 3 verse 7 uh, you have verses that say that if one wants to be an elder, it's in the qualifications, he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that it will, uh, he will not fall into the reproach and snare of the devil. Well, why is that there? Well, it's simple. Think about the job that you have. Think, are you ethical on the job? Are, are you pilfering from your employer? Are you, if you're doing unethical things, then that's not, not something that's going to get you a good reputation uh, necessarily in the world, if it's hurting other people, people that you're accountable to, people that rely on you, people you have obligations to. So if your family, even if they're not Christian, knows that you're stealing from them or abusing them in some way, and you have a bad reputation because of that, that's a good indication that you shouldn't be an elder. And so uh, I think, I'm trying to think of verses that you could ap appeal to, to say that you must have a good reputation with the world. This one, though, I don't think would, it wouldn't be, at best, what it would mean is that you just have a good, overall, a good character. So you could have someone, I, I had employers like this, who just did not agree with my social views that were, came from Christianity at all, yet they knew I was a good employer. And I, I was, I had a good reputation. I've always had good reputations on the jobs that I've had, pretty much. So... Um, that's what First Timothy is looking for in the actual relationships where you have obligations, where people can see your day-to-day -day life. Are, are you who you say you are? Uh, you could, I can think of Matthew 5.16 as well as another verse that might apply. Uh, it says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, the question I think here is, um, what, what mechanism exists for that transfer or that, not transfer, but that reaction of glorifying God based upon noticing these good works. Well, that that's going to be, I think, a work of God. That's going, that doesn't come from a darkened heart because uh, it, in the book of John, it says that the darkness hated the light and because its deeds were evil. Men hated light because their deeds were evil. So they run towards darkness. That's the natural state of man. So um, if you let your light shine, then it when people see your good works and the uh, and they glorify your Father who is in heaven, that is what we're commanded to do. But that doesn't mean that people who hate God, that's going to be their reaction. Uh, there's 
God's going to have to do a work in order for that to happen. That, that's what I believe. So, because I have to make sense of all the various verses, and there's so many about the world hating us as Christians. Um, Matthew 24, 9, same book, right? Uh, that we just quoted from about letting your light shine before men. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Sounds great, right? You have to just, you have to realize what the full, um, the, the full spectrum of what Christ, uh, Christianity, what the Bible teaches on this. You have to understand that, I think, first, before you can uh, start making these honestly irresponsible statements that Brent Leather would make about, well, you need to, uh, you need to be a joy to disagree with. I think there's a sense in which we can say, yeah, you, should, you shouldn't be a raving, uh, raging lunatic and you shouldn't be just going off on people and you shouldn't be just angry at full steam and the, ang the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. But that's not what he said. He said that you should build a constructive bridge to a watching world, meaning the people that disagree with Christianity and you should be a joy to disagree with. From their perspective today, I don't see how that's in going to be possible in most instances. I mean, there's no way to sugarcoat that you believe in traditional or biblical marriage. How? How do you um, make, how, how do you get someone from the other side of that debate to say, well, it's just a joy disagreeing with you. It's, it's gonna become more rare and more rare. And there's wartime leaders and there's peacetime leaders. And in the situation we're in right now, Brent Leatherwood is showing he's not a wartime leader. If that's his posture, if it's not, we need to uh, take every thought captive to Christ. We need to destroy these earthly philosophies that are making war against Christ. Um, we need to make sure the church remains pure because there's so many threats from the outside. We need to make sure we are a true prophetic voice, which means the world is going to be angry at us. And guess what? When they persecute us for Jesus, we count it all joy. That's what you need to hear from Brent Leatherwood. And he's not saying it. He's not saying it. So um, that's that's Russell Moore-esque. And that's, I think, why a lot of people uh, who knew who Brent Leatherwood was weren't that excited about this. But I wanted you to hear from his mouth exactly what he's saying. So, um, well, John, maybe Brent Leatherwood is more in that Russell Moore vein. But what about, you know, the positions he has? Maybe he's not as radical uh, or social justice-minded as Russell Moore. Well, here's Brent Leatherwood on social justice, uh, specifically the BLM iteration of social justice. The sanctity of human life from from the womb to the tomb. And, uh, yes, sir. and, part, of, and part of that is social uh, justice reform, justice reform. Uh, and we, we, we look at what happened earlier this year with uh, uh, the killings of, of Breonna Taylor and, and George Floyd. And and the church must uh, acknowledge uh, right that that even in the midst of a uh, a highly uh, uh, a highly uh, contentious uh, pretentious yes uh, that 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 we are uh, that we're recognizing that that the uh, the the human dignity the sanctity of life uh, is that wide that wide gap from beginning to end that's and, right uh, yeah and that we need to stand and 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 uh and be a part of uh uh the answer to, to the world's problem in that regard right 
That's right. I mean, uh, look, Christians are called to to be advocates uh, for the widow, the orphan, and and the marginalized, and uh, for for folks who um, uh, you know that they feel embattled by their local law enforcement. I, I really feel like we can be a voice that that gets in there to to help uh, rectify that situation uh, because you can both affirm. Uh, right, that the vast majority of police officers out there are good folks that are they're just trying to keep community safe. Yeah. Uh, but then at the same time, realize that maybe some of the the policies themselves uh, are are um, are in some ways oppressing the folks that are in the community. Like uh, we can bridge that gap. This is not an impossible thing uh, to to uh, to bridge. And I think we could be a really helpful voice in that. And you know, you mentioned um, several instances that have taken place over the last year that are just heartbreaking. Uh, you know, so whether it was George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or Ahmaud Arbery, uh, those those are instances that should grieve uh, the heart of Christians. And uh, I, I feel like we have a duty uh, to speak up uh, for uh, those individuals, uh, for their families that have been afflicted, and uh, to say that we could do better, uh, because uh, that's that's what God calls us to. So you can see he accepts the basic um, premise of much of the BLM movement. Although the, the where he deviates somewhat is he tries to say, well, you know, most police officers they're they're not bad, but he blames policies. So these policies though are, and we need to change them. And he doesn't get specific. What policies? What what policies would have led to different outcomes? I wonder with. George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery. What what was the flaw um, that the URLC can then step in and w- do what he's saying, bridge the gap? I don't think you're going to get specifics. Uh, it's the, the assumption that these things are motivated somehow by racism is is just, it's there in this particular clip uh, that it's not all police officers, but there is this, uh, this hyper-focus on uh, incidences that BLM has then used to try to push for a, a narrative that there's systemic injustice in police departments and that there needs to be fundamental change somehow. Uh, and and Brent Leatherwood is going along with that. So instead of pushing back, which is, I think, what you would need to hear from someone on the ERLC who's going to lead the ERLC, and, and pushback would look like, you know, listen, we're getting a false narrative here. Uh, about the police and it's it's tragic and uh, we need to realize that there this is actually harming real people when police officers stop doing their jobs it's called the Ferguson effect and they don't police areas they pull out of areas their rules of engagement are less aggressive and so uh, you end up letting criminals do what criminals do. And we need to as Christians take a stand against that we need to uphold law and order we need to, Um, Make sure that there's not this misunderstanding and misrepresentation lying, right? That's kind of a bad thing. And this equal, unequal weights and measures in which uh, when things happen to white people that are comparable, they're not focused on at all. It's only those uh, particular circumstances that will forward the agenda that paints the police as somehow racist. We need to uh, make sure that we're not in league with people who are lying and using unequal weights and measures to forward a, amounts to a Marxist agenda. You're not hearing that from him, though. He goes along with it once again. 
which is similar to Russell Moore. So I don't expect any change from the ERLC based on that. Well, you say, well, John, maybe, maybe the greatest threat though is the whole the COVID stuff we saw. We saw what the federal government did to churches and how churches were marked in so many areas as non-essential, whereas even liquor stores were essential. How does that work? Well, here's Brent Leatherwood on that particular topic. Listen for yourself. One of the main things I think that a lot of Christians are asking today is um, with everything that's going on with uh, John MacArthur in California and other pastors throughout the nation, is religious liberty under attack in America? You know, actually, if you just look at uh, this just expired Supreme Court term, I mean, we're talking here the first of October, so a new Supreme Court term has started. Uh, But the one that just ended in June, uh, actually, if you just take a step back, uh, religious liberty is in many ways the strongest that it has been, uh, at least in recent history. Uh, We just had a Supreme Court case um, that was decided, the um, Our Lady of Guadalupe case, where the majority opinion actually cited uh, the amicus brief that the RLC uh, submitted to the court, uh, which we were thrilled about. I mean, that that's just not something that uh, happens a lot. Now, granted, you, you kind of have to be a bit of a legal nerd or a court nerd uh, to probably really appreciate that. But the, the core of the finding stated that uh, churches and religious institutions, they can hire people consistent with their beliefs. And there's nothing that uh, a, any secular institution or government can do to, to overcome that. So essentially, what that means is, is churches like yours, churches like the one I go to, uh, they are protected in their orthodox beliefs to build the teams uh, that are consistent with their, with their uh, beliefs. And so that's a really important religious liberty holding, uh, and it's something that we want to draw attention to. Now, look, in, in this moment, we are living in just an incredible time. Uh, so there are naturally going to be uh, collisions uh, between uh, church and state. And we have spoken to uh, the ones where there are uh, really legitimate concerns where maybe the government has overstepped its ground. So uh, just recently, Capitol Hill Baptist uh, in uh, Washington, D.C., um, they have really tried to extend themselves uh, to meet the standards uh, that the city of Washington, D.C. has put in place uh, for religious institutions. And uh, they've worked within the parameters. They, they even uh, have tried uh, to get uh, feedback from the Washington, D.C. city folks uh, saying, hey, we would like to host an outdoor service. They have been meeting across the river in Virginia uh, at a satellite location. But just recently, Washington, D.C. said, hey, we're going to start permitting outdoor services. And they tried to get an answer from them, and they just haven't been able to do that. And so they, they finally said, hey, we're going to uh, file a lawsuit against you. And that is a very legitimate thing for them to do because they have tried to partner with officials in Washington, D.C. So um, like, this, is a, uh, this is a crazy time for sure. So there you have it. We're at an all-time high, apparently, for religious liberty. It's it's in better condition uh, than it has been in recent memory. And uh, John MacArthur's situation just ignored by Brent Leatherwood, even though that's brought up by the interviewer. And he goes to cite Nine Marks and Capitol Hill Baptist Church because, you know, they worked with the officials. They're working with them. And that's the important thing. You work with those officials. I'm all about working with officials. But 
you got to know who you're dealing with. And uh, if anything, I mean, Jonathan Lehman was the one who was, he went out there and said, uh, before you follow John MacArthur and just open up, wait, wait, right? He wrote this uh, whole thing on it. And uh, and then later in the year, Nine Marks is like, you know, it's, it's too much now. Now it's too much. Well, it was too much from the beginning. That was a, tr- a point I was trying to make from day one with this whole thing. Look, the, from the get-go, this was an overreach. As soon as churches were designated as non-essential, it was an overreach. Uh, and these other places were essential. Um, it's, it, it's just not the kind of person I think you want in a position of being leading the ethics and religious liberty for the largest Protestant denomination in the country that he can't see that, no, while he's saying this, religious liberty is actually it's threatened, incredibly threatened, and not just in the United States, uh, across the world. In Canada, uh, probably uh, much more severely, but uh, in certain places in the United States, it got bad. And um, it's so out of touch, I don't even know what to say. But that's that's the person who's running the ERLC now. Now that brings us to, let's say, John, I, I see what you're saying. I see that, you know, he's soft on social justice. He's doesn't see the threat to religious liberty. He's... Uh, He's following the example of Russell Moore. But, you know, John, the abortion thing, I mean, that's the main thing, right? And I would say, yeah, I mean, abortion is, I mean, there's a lot of things that are important, but murdering people, legally sanctioned murdering people, yeah, that's that's probably the worst. <laughs> and that's the one that gets us all, it should get us all mad the most, I would say, righteously indignant. And Brent Leatherwood, unfortunately, I believe is somewhat compromised even on this issue. And I did a whole podcast on this where there was a Louisiana proposed legislation, HB 813. And there was a letter opposing that particular piece of legislation put out. And it claimed that women were victims of abortion. The One of the people who signed off on this was Brent Leatherwood at the ERLC. That... We need to oppose this Louisiana bill because this bill, even though it didn't it didn't like select out women that get abortions for special treatment, all it really did was it said abortion now falls under the laws we have in this state about murder. But if you do that, guess what? That would mean that women who opt to get abortions are also going to be held liable to some extent. And oh, we can't have that. And so Brent Leatherwood, along with another a, a, a number of other uh, quote-unquote pro-life groups went out there to oppose this piece of legislation. He was confronted about this on the floor of the Southern Baptist Convention this past summer, Southern Baptist Convention 2022, in Anaheim, California. Here's what happened. My name is Brian Gunter. I am a messenger and the senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Livingston, Louisiana. Earlier this year, I worked with my state legislators to introduce House Bill 813 in the Louisiana legislature. HB 813 was a bill that sought to immediately end all abortion in my state by providing equal protection to the child in the womb. Simply stated, if life begins at conception, then our laws should protect life from the moment of conception. 
So you can imagine my surprise when, when you signed a letter dated May 12th urging all state lawmakers across America to oppose this bill and others like it because it would make it a crime for a woman to kill her own child by abortion. I thought that Southern Baptists, when we say we're pro-life, we mean that no person should be able to murder an innocent child in the womb. So this is my question. Is it really your position that the mother who willfully kills her own child by abortion is never guilty before God and she should never face any consequences under the law? Here's the deal. We agree on the bottom line. We want abortion ended. We want it ended today. We want it ended tomorrow. We want to end it as soon as humanly possible. But while we hold fast to that goal and continually shout that is what we want, why not support legislation that promises to save one more life in any context? I will say this, uh, to get the record straight, no letter was sent directly to Louisiana about a Louisiana uh, piece of legislation. Uh, right after the draft opinion from the Supreme Court was leaked, National Right to Life approached us, as well as 75 other pro-life organizations from around the country to say, hey, this would make sense since functionally, if this were to be law or this were to be the final decision, uh, abortion will be returned to the states. It would seem to make sense that we send a letter to legislative leaders in all 50 states to let them know what the principles uh, of the pro-life movement are. And so in a state like California, for example, where we are, it makes sense to send that because they're going to have this issue right in front of them. And in a state like California, they're going to have to take any available win where they can. Here's the reality. You're not going to get me to say that I want to throw mothers behind bars. That's not the view of this entity. That is not the view of this convention. It is not the view of the pro-life movement. That was proven yet again today. I believe the same principles that Jesus used in John 4 and John 8 apply right here. Maybe instead of rushing in like a mob, we instead rush in with the truth given to us by the author of life, showing we are able to bear the burdens of others and offer the healing that comes with grace, just as has been poured out for us. So he brings up John 4, which would be the Samaritan woman. He brings up uh, John 8, which is the woman caught in adultery. In both cases, Jesus confronted the sin. And he's using that to justify why... His position is that mothers should not be punished or put, uh, well, yeah, that really is what he's saying. They shouldn't be punished for seeking an abortion. What if you made the analogy a little different? Bring it outside the womb instead of inside the womb. Let's say uh, a mother decides she wants her 10-year-old killed and she pays someone. She pays a criminal. Now, we have to use our imaginations a little. Let's say it's sanctioned somehow. There's a protection for uh, people who want to end the lives of 10-year-olds. And she takes a 10-year-old in and says, I want the life of this 10-year-old to be ended. She signs the papers. Uh, the 10-year-old dies at the hands of uh, a murderer. 
and then there's no consequences then for the mother in that case i mean that would seem silly to us and rightfully so because we know that there would be complicity that this was something that was sought uh that um you know just because you push the button on uh, the machine gun or something or or the drone you know doesn't mean that you're uh, you, you lack somehow the moral culpability. Uh, pushing buttons from a, even a far off location still makes you s responsible for what takes place on the ground in real life, in, in uh, the tangible existence we live in. And so if a mother does that with her child, when it's inside the womb and says, I would like my preborn child to die, would you help me kill this child? And then that, a doctor kills the child then the mother would have culpability. There's really no category for the mother to be innocent, biblically speaking, of that. And to bring up John 4 and John 8 does nothing to invent that category. It just means that Jesus is forgiving. Praise God for that. For the woman caught in adultery, he's forgiving. Um, Go and sin no more is what he said. Uh, that doesn't mean that the law should not take its effect. In fact, civil procedure wasn't being followed in that passage, if you recall, because the man wasn't there. So, the Pharisees were not following their own law in administering the rightful punishment. Um, in this case of uh, the Samaritan woman, Jesus confronts her. He actually initiates the confrontation. You have five husbands. The one that you're with is not your husband. And it's, it's a confrontation of the sin that she was involved in. So uh, that didn't even have any teaching in it that comes to bear upon what the magistrate is supposed to do in those situations in which there's uh, a law that ought to be applied from God's word to a criminal act. So it's irrelevant what he's bringing up to that. If, if there's any relevancy, it's that God forgives. God knows, he sees, and then when there's repentance and faith, he forgives. And that should be the encouraging thing, but not as a club used to beat people who simply want to make abortion murder, which is really what that Louisiana proposed legislation was going to do. Just going to make abortion like any other murder. And uh, Brent Leatherwood, I would say, is compromised on that to some extent. So that's, uh, that's what I see with Brent Leatherwood. I don't see someone who's going to deviate from Russell Moore's pattern. If anything, he's going to keep it going, and, and maybe then some. We will see. But uh, I have uh, been, now it's more probably like a month ago, but I had a lot of people reaching out to me about this, and hey, did you notice who's now the uh, leading the ERLC, and what do you think? And so that's what I think. That's who's leading the ERLC. And uh, we'll, we'll talk a little more about Southern Baptist stuff probably tomorrow. Uh, on the podcast. Um, I'm hoping that that's, those are the only two days. I, I know some of you are Southern Baptist. Some of you aren't. For some of you, this is, is helpful. For some of you, you ignore these podcasts because you've already pegged the Southern Baptist Convention as a compromised denomination, and, and there's really no information, no new information you need, and I totally understand that. But for those who are still in there, who are still wanting to understand, I did put the links in the info section. You can go check them out for these particular interviews that you just saw. And I, I think it would help you uh, when you're trying to reason with others, perhaps, who might be excited about this or think that there's no problem with Brent Leatherwood. You can then use those resources, send them these videos and say, what do you think of this? Or you can send them this podcast. But sometimes that doesn't work out too well with people on the other side of the political aisle because they have me pegged as someone that they sh you shouldn't listen to John Harris or something. Well, don't listen to me. L look at the facts. Look at actually what Brent Leatherwood says. Compare it to what the Word of God says and compare it to 
uh, what just what reality is compared to the situation that we see before us. We're not in a situation in which people are uh, we're just respecting Christians so much uh, that disagree in a polite way. Uh, we, we're not living in a society in which um, people enjoy disagreeing with you about these very, uh, very basic fundamental topics. I mean, the, the disagreements between us right now, the divide between us is not something that can be brought back together through winsome dialogue. It's so fundamental, so diametrically opposed that one side either has to win or lose. That's the bottom line. And which side is the ERLC going to be on? You can't straddle that fence. So I uh, hope that is helpful for some of you Southern Baptists out there. More coming later in the week. God bless. Bye now. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.